My name is Dr. Bill Sinyard. We are talking about shame. We're talking about addiction and what the gospel, what difference the gospel can make. I have a special guest today, uh, Andrew Springer. He is with Facing Addiction Ministries. Let me go ahead and give you that website if you want to check it out. It is, uh, what I have, uh, Andrew, is reconciledfam.life. Is that the same? Correct. Okay. Reconciled fam, F-A-M, dot life, if you want to know more uh, or, or to, if you want to interact with Andrew. I was in uh, Philadelphia, uh, Doylestown, actually, a couple of a weeks ago and actually heard Andrew's testimony and was blown away by it. Um, I mean, he's just a young man. He's in that millennial age, and he just got up in front of a, a group of people, uh, some twice his age, and just spewed the gospel. And it was, a, it was a person who was humble. He's been beat up. He's made a lot of bad decisions, and he knows what shame's all about. I mean, am I close, Andrew? Yeah, pretty close, except for you lumped me in with millennials. What? How like, old are you? I'm uh, 35, so oh I'm— Oh, my gosh, I'm, you're Gen Xer. Okay, I'll give you that. I'm in, I'm in the—well, it's a transition. You're just in denial. You're just in denial. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I'll give you the transition. That's that's, that's fine. I'm in that transition between Boomer and Gen X, so uh, so I get it. I I, I claim that, too. Uh, So anyway, so so Andrew, I don't know where you want to start. Uh, Your testimony was amazing. You can start there. But tell us uh, a little bit about your life story and what difference the gospel made. Okay, well... um, you know, I, I grew up in a relatively normal family. Um, I have uh, two older sisters, a younger sister and younger brother. My parents are both still married. Um, from the outside looking in, we're a relatively normal family. My dad works really hard. My mom is a stay-at-home mom who, um, you know, was there for us, took care of us, uh, kept the house clean, all of that normal stuff that everyone expects in America. Yeah, and it looked ideal, uh, except for, you know, we were all broken people. And um, we had um, we didn't have any uh, semblance of, of Christian values or anything growing up. It was just kind of my, my uh, dad's parents were Catholic. My mom's parents were Protestant of some mm-hmm. form or another. And none of it really got passed down. Um, didn't, didn't go to church as a young, young man? Not, we didn't start going to church until I was about five or six. Okay. Um, and at, at that point I had already had, uh, some, um, bad habits. I had already learned some bad behaviors and stuff from, um, the way my dad raised me. So, you know, as I touched on in my testimony, mm-hmm. um, my dad, um, I couldn't ever perform well enough for him. Mm-hmm. I couldn't ever live up to his expectations mm-hmm. and it was because that's how he was raised too. Right. Never make my grandfather happy. Yeah. So it was a learned behavior. So I would try to make my dad happy because as a young man, you want to make your dad happy. Absolutely. This wasn't intentional on his part. It's right. just the way he was raised. Right. So he, he was being good father, tough love. Yep. Yeah. 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 And, um, I, it was even, you know, it was even to the point, I know a lot of other guys have experienced this, where I would do what he told me to do, exactly as he told me to do it, but there would be 
a hidden thing that he didn't tell me that he wanted me to do. Okay. Oh, oh. Or he, would, he would discover something else after I was gone and be like, well, you should have just. Oh. Just can't give and, you an A plus. He's got to give you an A minus. Right. And there's, so I put that on when I started going to church and started learning about God, the father, mm. God, the father was the same way my dad was. So there right. was no way to ever please yeah. him fully. I always yeah. thought when I messed up, he was angry at me. Right. And, and, um, I, I didn't try. Of course. They just gave I up. Mean, yeah. But so I did accept Jesus as my savior when I was, uh, eight or nine years old. Okay. And, um, I did that because we had a church that believed in healing and our pastor asked if anybody wanted healing for anything. And, uh, um, my mom was in the back praying for me that I would raise my hand and I raised my hand. I had pigeon toed feet when I was a kid and I couldn't run. I couldn't walk very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I had growing pains cause I had twisted growth plates and I asked for healing and they prayed and some indeterminate time later I got off the bus and I was healed. My feet were the straightest the doctor had ever seen. Wow. Praise God. So, and I, I ran that year. I ran faster than any kid in my grade, even though I had never run before a guy completely healed. Me. Huh. And that was, that was the miracle that made me say, there's something here. And I accept that Jesus Christ. Mm. But I didn't treat him like Lord and savior. And I wasn't discipled. So I knew the good news. I just didn't know how to apply the word to my life. And I read the Bible. Mm. I just didn't understand that there was application part, not just the knowledge part. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, in order to deal with the shame of not being able to please my dad, mm-hmm. um, not, and, and then just giving up on ple- trying to please anybody else because of that, mm-hmm. um, I started doing drugs and alcohol at 10 and a half years old, started, uh, drinking with an exchange student that was around and he left and I kept drinking. And then I got introduced to marijuana. And, uh, from that point on throughout high school, uh, junior high and high school, I was uh, a heavy drinker on the weekends and smoked pot um, pretty much every day from like 14 years old on. And before that, it was mm-hmm. whenever I could get my hands on it. So it was a lot mm-hmm. at a young age. Um, you know, and it, it does that. It, it temporarily anesthetizes you. It numbs you. It works. Yeah, short it term. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's, it, it meets a need. And yeah, it's short What term. voice were you trying to, to keep quiet? I mean, what, what, what were you avoiding? What were you running from? Um, dealing with not being good enough. Okay. Still, um, still not being good enough with your dad, with, with, with my dad and also with, um, school. I, okay. so I, in sixth grade, I was one of the most popular kids in my school. Yep. And then in, in Bucks County, when you get into seventh grade, um, bunch of schools combined, you move into right. a different school. Right. Um, and I suddenly wasn't the popular kid anymore, not only with the new kids that we hadn't met before, but with all of my old friends too. So I went from being a hundred friends to three friends Ouch. and I didn't know how to deal with that. So yeah. rather than deal with that, I just got numb. Yep. Good. Yep. 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 And it does work. I mean, it does. It, that's where, that's where our brains uh, kick in. Negative reinforcement. I need to get rid of these nagging voices or boredom or feeling anxious or feeling like a loser or shame. And so, yeah, I do drugs. It works. It's it's very powerful. Yep. And after that, you know, it becomes a habit eventually. It it becomes, and your body adjusts to it. It becomes your new norm. 
So at some point in ninth grade, I think. Gosh, ninth uh, grade. And your parents didn't know. Um, I, I'm sure they had an inkling, but both oh, my parents have dabbled with drugs and were able to just stop. Uh, no problems whatsoever with uh, uh, compulsive behaviors or anything like that. They, my dad can still smoke cigarettes at a party mm-hmm. and not smoke cigarettes anymore. If I smoke cigarettes at a party, mm-hmm. I cannot smoke them the next day, but it's very hard because right. I just want another cigarette. Right. You know? So my parents didn't understand. So if, if they did know anything was going on, they assumed it was a phase and it would just go away. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, my, my older sisters both smoke pot a little bit. Um, my mm-hmm. one smoked a lot. My, my other one dabbled with it a little bit and they were both fine. So, you know, mm-hmm. no, no, no seen it, I guess. Right. Um, but at some point in ninth grade, someone introduced me to uh, pain pills. Mm. And that was the best feeling I had ever felt to that. Ramped, ramped up. Was it oxy or what? Uh, no, just Percocets at that point. Percocet. But big, um, what they called school buses, big mm. 30 milligram pills, I think it was, or something like that, 10 milligram. Mm. I forget at this point, but yep. it was powerful. And I have a naturally high tolerance. So after taking one, I thought, well, I could take three, and I took three and three. Oh, felt really man. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And that became another that became another way combining that with alcohol and marijuana of you know ramping up the the good feelings so I didn't have to feel the bad feelings and deal with the actual problems in my life. Right. Um and uh that went on all the way through twelfth grade. I barely paid attention in school, didn't didn't really care as long as I, I graduated because my parents said I needed to graduate. Okay. So I I graduated by the skin of my teeth. And from there, I just decided I was going to work and play. So, so let me start. That that had to be shame, right? I mean, your classmates doing better than than you going to college, maybe, and your parents are basically saying this this is all Andrew's going to be able to do. Well, no, no, it was kind of this is all Andrew's going to do, but we know he has the potential to do a so lot. They were encouraging you. Okay, good for them. They were encouraging me, but kind of in a passive aggressive, this is shameful behavior you absolutely should be doing. Okay. Yeah. The shoulds happen. Yeah. yeah okay. So. Which that, was shaming. Yeah. Because no, you couldn't. I mean, at this point, you're going, this is it. This is what I got. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and because every time I tried, it was never good enough. So why try really hard at anything? Exactly. Exactly. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I made the mistake of praying for more pain pills after <laughs> someone had introduced me to OxyContin and I've been doing them for a while because they're expensive. Yeah. And I, I prayed for more pain pills and I had an accident at work and I flew my back out and I got all the pain pills a person could ever want and more. <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. And, and in all honesty, praise the Lord because although it was horrible when it happened and it was horrible going through it. And I almost died from a MRSA infection and recovery took a really long time from that accident. Mm-hmm. That is what drove me to going to America's Keswick colony of mercy and finally learning how to apply the gospel to my life and dealing with the underlying stuff. Cause I still thought when I first went there that the addiction was the problem. The drugs were and alcohol were the problem. Right. And I didn't realize that the shame and the guilt, and not knowing who I was in Christ. Yep. 
and trying to run from God rather than seeking God out as, as Abba, as, as the healing comforter that he is. Mm-hmm. I learned all that there without the mm. massive amount of drugs. I wouldn't have started that journey of actually mm. being disabled and learning who God is. Mm. Yeah. Tell us about Keswick. So Keswick, um, it's a, it's an intense four month Christian rehab. It's, it's mm. not a, a detox. It's just a rehab and you, Every day, Bible study, mm. the morning, you have to memorize a Bible verse. You have to study the Bible verse, not just memorize it. You have to mm. say what it means, how you can apply it to your life. Mm. And you get once a week, mandatory once a week, you get a counseling session. And then if you need to, everyone there that's involved with the program either has a loved one or themselves have gone through addiction. Wow. So everybody everybody knows and everybody's been been redeemed from that. So it's... You have counselors everywhere. Your work therapy, your boss is a counselor. You know, it's it's an amazing, amazing program. And I went through and I did the four month program in eleven months or something like that. You know, I, I restarted several times. I got <laughs> extensions. You know, I uh, I really like to push stuff and drag my feet. And uh, I completed the program and I thought I was good. My, it was my first time. The first time my dad visited, he left and dro- drove half an hour away and came back because he forgot to tell me he was proud of me. Ah, how'd that, that feel? That was the first time I've ever heard that that I remember coming out of my dad's mouth. And wow. I, I cried then and I cry now whenever I think about it because yeah. that is – because I stopped trying to please him. Hmm. I, I didn't realize at that time – what mm. it was kind of a glimpse of like mm-hmm. God the Father is is loves us no matter what mm-hmm. we do because right. of what Jesus did, mm-hmm. and God was working on my dad's heart while He was working on me because I stopped trying to please my dad and sought God first, right? And put God first, and then God was like, "I can restore your relationship with your dad. You can't. You've tried a lot. Wow! And um, that was amazing." Mm. That was that was one of the one of the best days of my life. It's up there, the top ten. You know, we all need that. The uh, um, if if we could hear God say or Jesus say, "Well done, good and faithful servant," or "You're my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased," which He paid for, all because of right. Him, not because of anything we've done. But if we could hear that, I mean, really, really hear that daily, it would change our lives. Yep, it would change our relationships. We would we wouldn't need other people to tell us how proud they are. We wouldn't need we wouldn't need it. It'd be great. We could we just wouldn't need it. I mean, gosh, so many things would change. But that's that takes the Holy Spirit and requesting the Holy Spirit to, to make us feel that. We don't teach that. Um, we we we're yeah. getting to, but but we just haven't done a good job of teaching people, uh, young adults or older adults, how to do that. Yep, and that's all part. It's just, you know it's all part of discipling. It should be. Right. I mean, that's what, that's what Jesus was doing for three years, was teaching the disciples that stop thinking how the world thinks. Think how I think. Right. Um, okay. So you, uh, your dad comes back and says he's proud of you, which that had to be an amazing scene. It was. And that was the, the, the turning point for that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't deal with some stuff. I didn't deal with some silly stuff that I thought was silly at the time. So I, I graduated the program. 
Mm-hmm. And um, February 2nd, my birthday rolled around and only one person said happy birthday to me. Mm. I was I was used to because I had one birthday party my entire life before that point. And really? yep. Yeah, and my dad was almost always gone on business for my birthday. Oh. But I got great some great presents. I got better presents than everyone else. So I thought okay. it was fun. Yeah. But it turns out it was something that I had stuffed down and never dealt with mm-hmm. emotionally. And that was more mm-hmm. shame. Like you're not good enough to have a birthday party. You're not yeah. appreciated on your birthday. Yeah. Yep, yep. The important day in your in your year yep. isn't good enough for anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> that night, I went and got a bottle of vodka and chugged it and started right down the road again of of using and um, a bunch of other stuff got dredged up. Um, my grandparents disowned our family and they started with me as a kid. Um, never fully dealt with that. And it was stuff that I should have brought up at Keswick because they say bring up everything, even if it seems inconsequential sure. to you. Sure. So three years later, um, 2015 or 2014, I find myself mm-hmm. um, using heroin in my parents' bedroom or my parents' house, I'm sorry. And um, I was laying in bed. And um, the first time I went to Keswick, the first time I went to Keswick, my parents confronted me and said, you need to get help. Mm-hmm. They knew I had a pain pill problem because I was still on them mm-hmm. uh, two years after surgery and not trying mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. heal. This time I was laying in bed and I, uh, I woke up with a start and I uh, realized I hadn't been breathing. I had started to go into um, respiratory arrest. It happens. Right. And it, it was not the first time it had happened. And thankfully, God protected me every time because there's a fine line between waking up from it and not waking up from it. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Um, so I woke up from it. And I realized, well, I've really got a problem. And I delayed a little longer. And I, I was laying in bed another night a little bit later, probably only a few nights. And I started having thoughts of assembling my dad's gun, his, his Springfield 45, where all the parts were, where the key was for the gun safe with ammo in it and if i could do it all and remember how to do it and i all of a sudden went whoa i've never had a suicidal thought in my life where is this coming from Hmm. and um that was a that was the biggest wake-up call that was the the wake-up call that something needed to change or Mm -hmm. something was going to go horribly wrong Mm -hmm. and um i told my parents i need to go back to keswick so i i went back to keswick Hmm. and uh, I did, I talked about everything and I had a counselor mm. who was very much on my level as far as, um, communicating to me the way I needed to be communicated with okay. and it, uh, explaining the gospel and explaining forgiveness, going deep into forgiveness and how a lot of stuff that I blame people for wasn't even their fault. Yep. Um, and a lot of healing got done and one how night, one what? How long did this time at Keswick take? Uh, <laughs> I think this one was only uh, eight and a half or nine months. <laughs> oh, man. You've almost spent most of your life at Keswick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but this this time I stayed for discipleship, um, which is if you graduate the regular program, you apply for it, you can stay for another three months. You get more responsibility. You get more freedom. Um, and it's a little more intensive with your Bible study and Got stuff it. like that. 
So it wasn't all extensions and being forced to be there. It was most of it was by choice. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, uh, I'm trying to keep the podcast to 15 minutes. We're at that now. So uh, do you mind if I just have you come back for the next podcast? No, it's not a problem. Pick up here and, uh, and, and uh, yeah, not rush this thing. It's, it's an amazing story. Uh, I can't tell you how many people I talk to that have parallel stories. Everybody's different, but man, it's we can do better than this. So anyway, um, so so uh, Andrew, we'll see you uh, on the next podcast. Okay. Yep. Thanks. I'm Dr. Lauren Deville, a practicing naturopathic physician in Tucson, Arizona. In my podcast, Christian Natural Health, my guests and I discuss topics ranging from nutrition, sleep, hormone balancing, and exercise to specific health concerns like hair loss, anxiety, and hypothyroidism. I'll also interweave biblical principles as they apply throughout the podcast because true health is body, mind, and spirit. Listen to Christian Natural Health for free at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcast platform.